Brooklyn, New York. This is the Brooklyn Art Library Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Peterman. This week, my co-host Autumn and I interview Danielle Krista, aka The Jealous Curator. Just as a reminder, you can find out more about every artist we talk about at brooklynartlibrary.org slash podcast. Take a listen. Hey, Danielle, how's it going? Good. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. Do you, in your podcast, do you look at the people while you're recording? I do now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. used to because I used Skype and the video would just, the connection would fall apart. Mm-hmm. So I would just look at the tiny little black screen. And uh, yeah. now, now I record on Zoom so I get to see everybody and it, yeah, it changes the conversation for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. really nice. Well, it's mm-hmm. nice to see you, you and too. we're excited to have you. <laughs> uh, last time we, it's been like a year, I guess. We we did that workshop with you April 2020, I think. Oh my gosh. Feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> Didn't you, did you not have COVID like right before that? I, I wasn't sure if I did or not because I was in New York on March 4th and right. came home and did not feel well for a while but i mean it was so early in the beginning that i was like well i don't i don't know so i just stayed yeah. home um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well glad you're you're feeling better yes, a year later so yeah. <laughs> that's great. uh so yeah you know what we, we've been doing this podcast and it made me think of you because my wife bought your book for my son and I mean, he is very far from understanding yeah, what baby. is going on. Yeah. yeah, he's he's ten months old now, but <laughs> we were reading it, and it's just so it's so sweet. We loved it, obviously, as the adults reading it, and uh, and it just made me think how much of your story sort of overlaps with the sketchbook project, and just really wanting to encourage people to be creative and not feel restricted. Um, so. I've I've heard your story before, but I, I love your. If you want to tell everyone sort of about how you got into this jealous curator life that you take, your persona that you take. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, it, it was a long. I'll I'll try and condense it, but um, basically, it was that I was super arty as a kid, all through high school, uh, went to art school, and then it all fell apart at art school. <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of right. I mean, it was not good from the get go, but, um, at the end, right before I graduated as a painting major, I had my painting prof tell me that I should quote, never paint again. Wow. Um, right before I graduated. <laughs> and, oh uh, if that had been a one-off, that would have been something, but it was years of that. And that was just like the cherry on top that was like, Oh, and so, um, I tried to keep making, but I just had a really I mean, I just second guessed everything I thought. So um, I quit. <laughs> I became a yeah. graphic designer for a really long time. And I would dabble with art, but I never told anyone. Like it was a secret. And um, yeah. and then when I had my son, who's now not even close to 10 months old, he's almost 15 years old. Um, oh I know, it's so crazy. <laughs> he's six foot three. Wow. What? It's crazy. My we were just talking about my baby. <laughs> He's 32 inches already. I'm like, that's crazy. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait till he's taller than you. It's very weird. Um, He's caught up with my husband too, which is crazy. Anyway, so um, I stayed home. I was a creative director at an ad agency. But when I had him, I decided to stay home. 
And that's when I decided to maybe start making art again. And I started Googling around for artists that I loved and just to see what was out there. And I was so overwhelmed by what was out there. It just seemed like, oh my God, like everything had been done. And who was I even kidding? Like I was supposed to never paint again. So why was I bothering? And so my husband, this was in the end of 2008, suggested I start a blog um, not for anybody to read, but just for me to, um, I don't know, find my inspiration, figure out my own visual vocabulary, my own voice, and um, also to kind of put this jealousy away because he very sweetly pointed out that it was eating me alive, <laughs> probably making me not very pleasant to be around. Um, and he said, you know, if you keep jealousy inside, it becomes toxic. But if you say it out loud, um, it can turn into admiration. So yeah. I was instantly like, oh, I'll call it the jealous curator because I was a branding yeah. expert. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'll do the yeah. logo. I'll do the whole. So I dawdled for a really long time putting the brand together because I was scared to do a post. Um, but I started writing um, and, you know, sharing this jealousy in a positive way. And really quickly, like within the first month, nobody was reading it except me, but I could feel that jealousy sort of lift off my shoulders. And that was uh, in February. That was 12 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So I've been posting every day for 12 years. Oh my God. Yeah. That's um, I, yeah, I love that story. I mean, I, I don't love that your teacher said <laughs> that to you, but I also had that experience too. I was always told by my teachers that, I mean, not so as bluntly, I think, as the experience that you had, but I felt like always so discouraged about making art. And uh, I, I talked about this before, but my my the one teacher that was so hard to get approval from when he like came to our first like sketchbook project show and like gave me some approval, I was like, oh, now I'm doing something that you're interested in. So uh, I really, I can relate really well to that. I I feel like a lot of my sketchbook project life has come from me feeling like myself as an artist wouldn't be successful as an individual artist. So maybe I can do it with everybody together. Yeah, that was totally what Jealous Curator was too. I, I, um, in a way I was still hiding out because I was like, Oh, I'll write about other people. Um, yeah. and then the, the, the plan was to write so that I could find my own visual voice. But then Jell's Curator just took on a life of its own. And I used that as an excuse to be like, well, I'm so busy with the Jell's Curator, <laughs> Stephen and the Brooklyn Art Library. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm so busy with that that I don't have time for my own art. Yeah. And I'm giving back to the art community. That's much more important than making my own art. And then I kind of called myself on that about six years ago. And was like, all right. Like I was writing all these books, telling people to get out there and make stuff and get unblocked and shut your inner critic down. And then I was like, huh, <laughs> yeah, not practicing what I <laughs> How do I apply this all. to myself? Yeah. And so I really, you know, did all the exercises I tell everybody else to do. I gave myself projects and challenges. And, um, and part of that was doing the sketchbook with you guys a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Can well, um, oh, go ahead, Autumn. Sorry, I was going to say to bounce off of that. Can you talk a bit about your book that you submitted? Because I feel like that also is a true point of your voice. Well, it's so funny because I think I've told you guys this before that. Um, so I'm so excited about this project, and um, 
so I got my first sketchbook and I did something on the first page and then I was like, Ooh, I don't like that. And I ripped it out. And then I did something on the next page and I was like, oh, I don't really like that. I ripped it out. I got down to one page left in the sketchbook <laughs> and I was like, I can't really send them this. <laughs> so I emailed Stephen and I was like, can you please send me another book? So <laughs> I got the next book and I thought, all right, I need a plan. And this happens to so many people, right? When you've just got that blank canvas in front of you or a blank sketchbook, it's like, where, where do you start? It gets kind of intimidating, right? And you want it to be this really cool thing. So I was like, okay, I need to give myself a project. And at that time, I was sort of, um, I'd been thinking a lot about my work and why I was using the images I was using. I had just had, um, um, Kirsten Lamb on my podcast and she was talking about actually writing down a list and like creating an inventory of the images you use, of the colors mm. you use mm. and figuring out what they mean because um, it's usually really subconscious and you don't even really know why you use triangles all the time or why do you use yeah. yellow all the time. So I was sort of thinking about this with my work and one of the main things I what, not so much. I've, I've I've changed my work a little bit in the last few years, but I was using Queen Elizabeth all the time, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know why. I just thought it was funny. I, I was, you know, I'm Canadian, so I was like, maybe it's because she's on all our money. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I couldn't really figure it out. So I decided to use the sketchbook project to do that. And so my book is called Making Sense of My Muse. And it's all about figuring out why I use the queen. And I really quickly pieced it together that she really reminds me of my grandmother, um, Blanche, best name ever. Um, (laughs) And so I had, I had been using my grandmother's photo in my work, but it felt really too vulnerable almost. Like if, if there was criticism of the work, it's like, Hey, that's my granny. Don't slam my Grammy. And uh, somewhere in there, I started using the queen. And uh, so when I started actually looking at photos of them as teenagers, they look so similar. Um, And then I was like, well, let's just keep on going. And so their wedding, they both got married in November. I didn't know that. I knew my Grammy got married in November. I did not know Liz and Phil got married in November. They both had four children. Um, Charles is right around the same age as my mom and she was the oldest as well. And so there was like all these weird parallels. So my sketchbook goes chronologically through both of their lives and I just do double page spreads for each one. So here's my Grammy, here's Queen Elizabeth looking kind of the same. Um, And I used it as an excuse to try out a bunch of um, collage techniques that I'd been wanting to try. So I did some layering. I wanted to um, hone my skills of, I loved my grandmother's handwriting. So I did a whole page of trying to like master her handwriting on a, um, like a not tissue paper, but like a vellum type thing over top of the mm-hmm. photos. And so I did use it as a place to experiment, but I also needed, and that's just how I am. I just needed a plan so that I wasn't tearing pages up. And I ended up being so happy with it and figured out all this stuff about my own work and why I do what I do. And there was lots of happy accidents in there that I then took forward into more work that I was doing um, for shows later. Yeah. That's a, I, I really like that idea of like self-reflecting and figure that inventory list thing. Mm-hmm. It's got me thinking, I feel like that's <laughs> a, that's a good 
exercise for people. It is. It's such a, it's such a thing that you don't, it's so subconscious. And, um, I, I wrote my list in Venice because I was in, uh, I was there for the Biennale a few years ago and I was feeling very like overwhelmed because the work there is just so amazing. And I was thinking my collages are so stupid. Like there are these little things on paper. Meanwhile, there's these insane installations with light and marble (laughs) and things hanging from the ceiling. And so I went and sat by the Grand Canal with a, a very strong coffee and a fancy little pastry and a notebook. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I wrote about why my collages aren't stupid. I wrote about why they are important. Um, the old Danielle out of art school would have just quit and been intimidated and been frustrated. And But the new Danielle, the one that tells everyone else not to get stuck, yeah. was like, okay, I got to figure this out. And so I wrote and wrote and wrote. And part of it, I just interviewed Kirsten. So I, I have a page that was like, okay, why do I use pink all the time? Because women often get criticized if you use pink, that it's girly and kind of Barbie-ish and whatever, and it's not serious. The reason, and I didn't even realize, but the reason I use pink is because when my grandmother was dying, she she had cancer and she was sort of in and out of consciousness um, and less lucid than not. And then one day she had a very lucid moment and she said to my mom, "Um, I just saw my spirit and it's pink. And my mom was like, oh, you know, okay, mom, okay. You know, just trying to keep her calm and whatever. And she said, no, no, you have to hear me. My spirit is pink. Watch for me in pink. And um, and then so many weird pink things happened after she passed. And she died, I think, 25 years ago now. I was about, yeah, I was in my early 20s when she passed. And um, anyway, years later, when I started making art again, I started incorporating pink into everything I do thinking, oh, I just really like pink. And then when I sat down, and maybe it was the strong coffee that, you know, helped me, but (laughs) when I sat down, I was like, oh my gosh, of course that's why I use pink all the time. And that's sort of when the insight was like, of course that's why I use the queen all the time. You know, and and I use black a lot. And the reason is because in art school, when they were telling me I wasn't serious enough and I wasn't angsty enough, I did not know what to do. So I just bought a lot of black paint. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, is this good? Like, is this like, is this what you want? I got better grades with the black paint. So whenever I'm feeling stuck, I notice that I incorporate black totally subconsciously. So when you figure that stuff out, it gives you control. You get to decide how much pink or how much black or maybe no black or maybe the queen or maybe not. It gives you the power to understand why you're doing what you're doing. And you get to go have a nice coffee out of it too. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, that's, that's a really good exercise. I hope people listening to that can like find that reflection on themselves and do that. Cause I think there's so many people that are, yeah, it's a, it's, you're almost like telling people to overthink to like stop overthinking. Like we're like, right. look at what you're doing. Why are you doing it? And then be able to utilize those that skill, that, uh, that imagery in a more positive way in your artwork moving yeah. forward. Yeah. And you yeah. can tell the story that you want to tell without even being, you don't have to be literal about it. Nobody needs to know that that pink is because of my grandmother. Yeah. But I know, you know, so yeah. it kind of gives me power in the making of it. Yeah. So I love your, your Instagram. I mean, that's mostly where I get my jealous curator news. I mean, I've, there's so many 
you always find like the best artists. I'm always, my wife and I are always like, oh, we found, like, have you seen this artist on the Jealous Creator? We're always like, <laughs> you're like the topic of our creative discussion. Um, what do you like, what do you feel, how, I, don't, I mean, like, how do you think people are creating these days? Like, what are you looking for when you look at people? I mean, what's inspiring you? Like, let's, let's just get down to it. <laughs> Um, well, my tagline for the first probably eight years of having the blog was, damn, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> so that is generally how I, you know, choose the work I choose. If I have that, you know, every creator knows that gut feeling of, ah, oh, damn, I, yeah. why didn't I think of that? It's so simple. <laughs> it's so smart. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, so that was my tagline for the longest time. Um, lately, I, my work has gotten a lot more sculptural. So my, my collages have gone from cutting things out of magazines to finding old ceramics and smashing them and gluing them onto panels. Mm. And so I, if you go through my Instagram right now, it's like, oh, yep, Danielle's into sculpture. <laughs> it, I'm starting to see, you know, because now I'm admiring these people where I'm like, how did they get that to stick onto there? Or um, The whole thing is just my gut. It's just what I love. And um where my interests are kind of, you know, going. But the interesting thing is it looks like it's all over the place in a way. Like there is all kinds of materials. There are all, you know, people from all over the world. But if you kind of scroll through, you sort of see a strange pattern emerge. Like I always love things that have a bit of a wink, like a little bit of humor to them, a little bit of, mm -hmm. um, you know, sassiness. Because I was told in art school, again, to strip all of that out of my work, that I would never be taken seriously as an artist if there was any humor in my work. So I think even when I started The Jealous Curator, I was drawn to that because I was like, oh, look, but they're doing it. You know, and it took yeah. until a few years ago for me to be like, hey, I, I can do that. Like, just because someone told me in 1994 that I couldn't be funny is not a truth. So um, yeah. I'm really drawn to work that has a bit of a wink to it. Um, I love work that has... Um, interesting use of materials. Like I love it when art and craft cross mm -hmm. and what is that difference, you know, and that could be like, it gives me a giant headache thinking about the difference between art and craft, but I love it when you see things in a beautiful white walled gallery that have crochet in it or yeah. beadwork or whatever. So I find that a really fun crossover. So yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really just my gut and what, uh, what I'm kind of thinking about in the moment. So lately there's been a lot of weird sculpture. Right. Yeah. I'll have to, now I got to go back and look and, yeah. and see that. Um, so yeah, we started out, I told you we, we uh, special ordered your book from the local bookstore so we could get the local bookstore. Nice. Uh, some credit uh, here during COVID and we were reading it to my son and it's so sweet and I'm interested in sort of the, the backstory on how that came about because I know you all your other books were adult based yeah for the most part, so yeah yeah well it's so interesting because um sort of the same thing as looking for patterns in the work that I write about um I also look for patterns in conversations I have with people which is how all of my books have come to be um because if you pay attention it's like the same stuff will come up over and over and so I noticed in the last few book tours that People would tell me, like, I've been told literally by, I'm sure, over a thousand people that when they were six, seven or eight years old, 
it's always those years um, in school or by a family member that they couldn't be an artist when they grew up that they were um, that art was silly and just a fun hobby but it wasn't really a job or that they weren't very good at it maybe they should stick to soccer you know like or whatever your sister's better at it than you are and all these things that stayed with them and I'm now meeting them at when they're 30 40 50 80 mm -hmm. where they're like oh I haven't made since I was a little kid because I was told this so I thought well I can either write another grown-up book to jumpstart their creativity decades later, or I can scooch around to the front and talk to them when they're five, six, seven, eight, and say, hey, if this ever happens, you don't have to listen to this. This isn't <laughs> true. You actually can be an artist when you grow up. Yeah. Um, and here's what to look for, you know? So, um, and I've always wanted to do a kid's book. I, I mean, before I even had my son, I was buying kid's books. <laughs> Just, yeah, I just love yeah. them. You they're know? so and fun. They're just so, yeah, and so clever. Yeah. And I love the ones that talk to the adults a little bit too yeah. um, and talk directly to the kids. I didn't want to write a story. I wanted to like have a dialogue with the kids and be like, hey, psst, listen to this. <laughs> and um, and so I, I pitched it to my agent and she was a bit nervous because she said, you know, children's books are so competitive. And she's like, that's not what you're known for. And I said, but I... It's basically all the stuff I talk to adults about packaged up for kids. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, I just did it. I just was like, I'm not going to wait for a book deal. I'm just going to write the story. And I did the illustrations and I kind of put it all together and I showed her and she was like, Oh my God, let's pitch this. And we yeah. sold it three days later. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was, I mean, it was a dream come true. The only bad part about it was COVID because the book tour was supposed to be in September and I had cities all over the place mm. lined up and I have yet to actually sit in front of a group of live children <laughs> and yeah. read the book. I, I've just done a couple of zoom calls with a few kindergarten classes and stuff. And it's the best just seeing yeah. their faces because mm. You know, you're writing this book and you're like, oh, I hope they laugh at this part and I hope they get mad at this part and I hope they feel sad at this part, you know, and to see them react is the best. So hopefully one day I'll actually be able to sit in front of human children and read it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I thought of, I, I laughed. It was super funny <laughs> oh, and really sweet. Um, well, I and just we're like... I just put up a story on Instagram yesterday of this, this mom, this artist that I know sent it, her little boy, he's two. He's on the page with a little gray, sad block who's been blocked by the art bully. And he yeah. says, he says, give him kisses. And he kisses the little gray block because he's so, oh. and she said, every time they read the book, he stops on that page and he's so concerned that the art bully was mean to the little gray block. And she said, if you ever write a follow-up, can it be about this gray block turning out okay? Because my son is traumatized yeah. by it. <laughs> yeah, we need a spin-off. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm really, really proud of it. And, um, you know, to know, like, to see videos of kids, like, being so into it and being sad for the block and being mad at the art bully and yeah. seeing the art that they make afterwards is just like, oh, my heart, it makes my heart want to explode. It's just the best. Um, do you have any advice for our listeners who can kind of combat that art bully? Yes. There's so many easy things to do that 
seems so easy, it would it seems ridiculous. So I've got little chunks of advice I always give people. Um, the first thing I say is to name it, is to name your art bully, your inner critic. Mm -hmm. Because when you personify it, it takes that floaty negative, oh, it's just this voice in my head. If you just name it like Tim or, you know, I don't know, (laughs) Renee. And then, yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's just that, you know. And And then if he or she shows up in your studio, you can be like, look, Renee, I don't have time for this right now. Um, sit over there and whisper your stuff over there because I'm busy working. Um, and it's just funny. Um, then the other thing I tell people to do is say, thank you. Sounds really easy, but it's really, really hard. So if someone says, oh, I, you know, I love this new sculptural work you're doing. I should then say, thank you. And then stop talking as yeah. opposed to saying, <laughs> oh, thank you, but it's not quite where I want it to be yet. And I wish that this, and I'm not sure of the glue I should use and blah, 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 blah. Because your inner critic loves that list of negativity. So if you can just say thank you and stop, I mean, it'll still be in your head, but you slowly squash it when you practice yeah. doing that. Um, and then the other thing I get people to do, um, I can't remember if we did this last April, we might've where Did I make people yell at each other? Mm-mm. Oh, <laughs> so what I get people, it's really funny in a group. Uh, what I get people to do is to on little cards and you can do this when you're at home. So if you're at home and you hear that voice tell you that, you know, ah, everything's already been done. What's the point? Stop what you're doing. Write that down. Then I want you to yell that out loud, either into a mirror or if there's somebody around, yell it at them, warn them first, maybe, um, but yell it at them. Um, as loud as you can, swear words, whatever. And it's mortifying. When I make people do it in a group, I make them turn to the person beside them and yell that thing at at a stranger (laughs) or the friend they came with or whatever. And they're always horrified. They always apologize and hug the person. Sometimes they cry. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're mortified to say that to someone else, why do you say it to yourself over and over and over on repeat? Like it's not okay, you know? Um, And so I make them yell at each other. Then we flip the paper over and write the positive opposite. So, you know, if it's like, oh, I'm going to fail anyway. So what's the point? The positive opposite of that is I'm going to fail like a genius because (laughs) it's, that's how you become a genius, right? Is by trying and trying and quote unquote failing and giving it another world and adjusting and adjusting. And so you just need to flip those, you know, Renee and Tim's words around because inner critics do have a nugget of truth. They just say it in a really rude, mean way. So you just like, you just have to twist it around and go, well, hold on. How can I use this to propel me forward instead of letting me, you know, instead of making me stop. And if I can use myself as as an example, you know, I quit for about 15 years. What a colossal waste of time. Mm-hmm. because I was told never to paint again. And she's like, you know, and I blamed him for a long time and that prof, but the thing was, it was my responsibility to pick up my paintbrush. And I did not yeah. um, There's a quote from my first book, Creative Block by an artist in Toronto named Amanda Happe. And I love this quote. I'd asked her how she deals with negative criticism. And her answer back was, the great thing is you don't have to care. No one can wrestle the pencil out of your hand. You get to keep going in absolute defiance. 
And when I read that answer, I just burst into tears because I was like, oh my gosh, like I put my paintbrush down. You know, I should have kept going in absolute defiance. So when I talk to anybody, especially students, I always say like, you're going to face criticism. You're going to face rejection, all that stuff. But it is your job. If you want to be an artist, that means you need to make art. So that means you need to pick up your pencil or your camera or your clay or whatever it is the next day and the next day and the next day. And so, you know, if that's what I can impart on kids and teenagers and adults, you know, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of overlap again with people participating in the sketcher project and it being, being afraid or, my book is going to be full of stick figures and we're always like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Or like, you know, there's so many of that. I'm not an artist thing, but like you're in the space, you're feeling creative. You're like thinking about it. It's like what you are, like you can do this and you have something to say. We've all had an experience and you know, it doesn't, I don't know who defines what, the what art is at some point and we all decided to follow it yeah well you know it's been really cool doing these zoom calls with kindergarten classes because one of the questions i've been asked by all of them is um how do you become an artist Mm. and i always say the minute you pick up a pencil and it touches the paper you're an artist and they're like so then all of them are like i'm an artist and it's like (laughs) yes you are you know, and you uh, don't need that. You don't need a piece of paper on your wall. You don't need, uh, you know, to have had a show at MoMA, you know, whatever it is. Like if you, if you pick up those materials and you make something, you're an artist and that's good enough. And it's, it's heartbreaking and I get it. I, I stopped too, you know, I, I yeah. completely get it, but I've never been happier to just finally be making art that reflects me. I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't know, prove anything. I'm just making art that I love for me. And I tell people that all the time too. Like if you can harness that feeling of when you were a kid, you know, and you would walk home from school and find the perfect rock and you just like brought it home and you were like, well, I'm going to glue googly eyes on this for sure. Yeah. You know, and you Obviously. weren't worried about like galleries accepting rocks with googly eyes. And you weren't worried about like applying to grad school with a rock with googly eyes on it. You just made the thing because you couldn't not. So if yeah. you can remember that and harness that, that's sort of the kid's book is sort of for the grownups that are reading it to their kids. It's kind of that for them. Like, hey, remember when you just got a feather and glued glitter to it, that was awesome. And just trying to get people making again and just not getting in their head so much about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of this. I feel like our community is going to feel super inspired. Uh, we're, we'll link to all your books on our website. So they can check that out in your, your podcast too, as well, which I haven't really gotten a chance to listen to much of it is, is How's that going? I just recorded, I, uh, this past weekend, my 200th episode went up. Oh my God. Congrats. Woo. Yeah. It's a lot of talking about art. <laughs> I know. We're on number 11, I think. I here and... Well, I said it in, in the intro, I was like, when I first started this, I was like, how cool would it be if I got to 10 episodes? Like that was my yeah. plan, you know, <laughs> now I'm at 200 and uh, yeah, no, it's going, it's going great. I guess it's still going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well I'm so glad awesome. you guys started this. It's so cool. And I love the sketchbook project. I tell everybody about it because 
I think that's the problem. Like whether you've gone to art school or not, but if you have gone to art school, you get out and you, it's hard when you don't have assignments and projects. Like, yeah. you know, you're like, oh God, I've just got blank paper. What the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, the, I love, and like when you guys did the mini little books, just, just having those projects and, and then getting the project from you guys. Okay. Here's this. How many pages are in it? Like 24? 16, 32 back yeah. in front. Okay. There you go. So 32 pages. There's the first part of it. The second part is give yourself a project so you're not ripping pages out like I did and just, <laughs> you know, decide what you're, what you're going to do and then just go yeah. for it and just have a great time because that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. But we love having people like you in our system or <laughs> ether of like creativeness. And I hope everybody checks out the Jealous Curator. And- Thank you so much. Thank and we'll, you. I hope we talk to you soon. Me too. Let's not wait another year. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Bye. That's our show. Thank you so much to my co-host Autumn and to Danielle for chatting with us. If you want to find out more about the Jealous Curator, you can head to thejealouscurator.com uh, or you can head to our website, brooklynartlibrary.org slash podcast. We will see you next time.